Hello and welcome to our new episode of Real Talk with Real Mums, an expert advised and mum approved podcast with me, your host, Louise Makshari. Don't forget, you can always get in touch and follow us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast. But today we are talking about mental health. This is an area which we feel definitely needs greater discussion and awareness. Later on, we'll be talking to Dr. Richard Duffy and mental health midwife Louise Rafferty. But first, we have two mums in to talk to us about their experiences. Joining me to talk about her experience is Gemma Brown and her son Hugo, who you may be here are hearing making himself known. Um, Hugo is five five months. Five months now, yeah, just over five months. And how are you getting on? Um, we are getting on good. Yeah, we're getting on good. Um, he is a, a, a very energetic baby <laughs> who's still um, still breastfeeding. Yeah. So um, sleep is fitful at the moment. Yeah. Um, but we're getting into a little bit of a routine where he's going to bed at night at about eight or nine o'clock. Such a relief, isn't it, when you yeah. get to that bit? Yeah, and yeah. every night I say, oh, I'm going to go to bed when he goes to bed. And then I'm like, oh, you watch something on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because you feel like if I don't yeah. do it, like if I don't have an hour after yeah. he goes to bed, then where is my time in the yeah. day? Yeah, I know that feeling. And I actually read something the other day and it was like, oh, I can't wait for my baby to go to sleep so I can have a nap. Uh, and then in, in brackets, it was like spends her whole time scrolling through Instagram. Yes, <laughs> you know? very familiar scenario. <laughs> To me. So can you uh, tell us a little bit about your pregnancy experience? Um, well, it was 12 years since I was last pregnant. I have a 12 year old son as well. So, um, yeah, it was a long, a long break between them. And um, I kind of had forgotten an awful lot. Um, but because I'm a lot older, I mean, I was 26 going on 27 with my older son. I found that there was more kind of ailments this time around. (laughs) I'm older, so things were harder. And, you know, I also had my son to look after and and the house to run. Um, But yeah, I I found it it, a quite difficult uh, transition to be pregnant older. So I think a little bit, you know, mental health kind of suffered a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It was harder to get around and and move actually, you know, physically. I found a lot of relief actually in swimming um and trying to get out for walks but i had um had a really bad pelvis so um i had a a weight belt to lift the bump up off me so so walking was was kind of a bit tough you know um but other than that um i had this uh, carpal tunnel where i had kind of dead arm all the time i didn't have feeling in my fingers three fingers on my thumb until he was about two months old um, but apart from that, I like being pregnant, like, you know, after you get a, over the morning sickness. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's not great. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I'm not going to pretend like I actually was very lucky and I didn't have that. So. Yeah. I was, I was violently ill for 13 weeks on both of my sons. So yeah, oh, it was really, really, really horrible. <laughs> All that stuff as well is so demoralizing, just at a very basic level, just not being able to do your usual stuff that you would normally do and not feeling like yourself, not being able to kind of do your usual routine. Like that stuff really gets to you. <laughs> Hugo heard the microphones turn on, I think, and he's decided he wants in on the action. <laughs> So we just took a little break now and Hugo is wheeling away there in his prom. So if you hear a little squeak, that's what's going on. Um, But you mentioned there that you definitely felt like your mental health suffered during your pregnancy because you were having a harder time than say your first one. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There was just more, there was more dynamics. You know, I had an an older child. He had to get to his football. Um, And actually quite early in my pregnancy, we had to tell him I was pregnant when I was 10 weeks because I was so sick. He came home from school one day and he asked me, did I have cancer? 
because he just said, ma'am, you're so, so sick. Like, have you got cancer? And you're just not telling me because you no. don't want to upset me. And I you know, and then anyway, I had to have a couple of early scans because I had a few bleeds. And um, then we decided that we, we'd tell him, you know, early because if anything was to happen anyway, we'd have to explain it to him. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that um, physically it was really tough. So I'm, I would have been a very, very active person. And then suddenly I wasn't able to be active, you know, um, I have a dodgy knee and my back was sore and the pelvis was sore. And so I wasn't able to run around or do the housework or and then as the bump got bigger, I wasn't able to even just pick the dirt up off the floor after sweeping it. And, yeah. you know, little things that would then get on your mind. And then I had also just finished a degree, as I mentioned, and my days weren't as busy then, you know, with kind of my stuff. Yeah. It was just about getting through the day getting people fed and and just getting stuff together for the next day you know so yeah caused and I suppose it's a transition of you know I wasn't readily available for my son or my partner so there was a bit more bickering in the house and you know and and then my hormones were you know yeah yourself I do you know it's, it's you're crying and you don't know why and then you're upsetting other people and you're not meaning to and then it's just yeah I think it's difficult you know as much as it's a joy and that's the other side of it you know people that can't have kids and then you don't want to complain because you're like i'm so lucky that i'm pregnant and um are you starting again <laughs> so um you mentioned to me before we we came on the microphone yeah. that you had had a difficult delivery with your older son um and then you had a difficult delivery again didn't you with hugo yeah you know I, I spoke to the midwives in the rotunda so i had my first son in hollow street and i didn't have a very nice delivery um and it it kind of left a scar there and i spoke to them about you know being really really anxious about the birth because i didn't want the same thing to happen you know that happened on my first son and i had kind of i'd done a little bit of kind of um you know meditation and listened to a few podcasts around just letting it go and that it was you know no birth is the same and you know every birth is different and and i just you know try to reassure myself as much as i possibly could and then when i uh, went into labor with hugo it was it was really distressful and it ended up being worse than than the last one you know um as much as i didn't want it to they kind of confirmed afterwards that i possibly should have has had a cesarean um and i had maybe i could have pushed for one you know but i i didn't know i suppose you no know, you exactly. don't know and no matter how much you plan and have or have a birth plan it just you have to take it as it goes while you're in the labor ward yeah i mean all you can do like i i think from my experience all you can do is make the best decision at the time with the information that you have you know, like I ended up having a, an emergency cesarean with my second delivery after an induction that didn't really take off. And yeah. I, my first one was an induction that didn't really take off, but I managed to have a vaginal delivery yeah. the first time. And, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, I should have just said that if I didn't want to be induced and I should have pushed for this and I should have pushed yeah. for that. But at the end of the day, like, you know, at the time you do what feels right. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. And um, yeah, I just was in so much pain. <laughs> I was like, you just kind of just have to go with it anyway but it's it's the afterwards i think it was kind of like um as my partner said you know he said it was kind of it's like a trauma you yeah. went through a trauma it is a trauma yeah. because i came home and i was so you know i was breastfeeding hugo and um 
you know, the, as I spoke about the dynamics of our, the relationships, you know, we've gone from a family of three to a family of four and I'm not available for anybody apart from the baby. Yeah, it's a big change. Um, but, you know, just going to the bathroom is horrific and I couldn't sit down and... You had an infection. I had an infection after um, an episiotomy, which I knew the following day because it had happened on my first son and um, it was just so, so painful. Um, and then I wasn't on strong enough painkillers. I ended up coming back to the Rotunda. Now they were amazing. I have to say, um, I just went straight into A and E. They saw me straight away the the two times that I had to come back in, and they just reconfirmed the infection. And they just had to give me stronger painkillers, and I just had to keep on the antibiotics. And then I got thrush after that. Of course. And then I was back in again. And then I had another infection again. And so yeah, it was a good few weeks of antibiotics, and and I had nobody to come and visit. So for the first week. Um, well, we had nobody come and see the baby at all, and my mom actually ended up getting shingles, so she couldn't even come and see me or help out. So it was a really, really tough uh, couple of weeks, and then people very felt isolating. very isolating. And then people felt like they couldn't call, and then I th- I could feel my mental health slip further and further, and I was getting to a stage then where people were calling and I wasn't answering the phone, or I was ignoring, or people were say we're on the way, and I would then cancel. Um, because I would get really anxious so the house is a mess and I don't feel great and you know I don't have anything like my partner was great he was getting all the shopping and doing all that but then I'd have a fight with him and then I'd be really upset and then I'd just say oh I don't actually want anybody to visit me right now but I think it was yeah it was a little bit of kind of self-destruct because when you're in that cycle of you know I don't feel great I don't really want to see anybody and and yeah isolating well isolation breeds isolation like definitely I mean I certainly know that feeling of you know I should go out because it'll make me feel better but I just can't bear the idea of having to put clothes on or having to get take a shower or I know I'll feel better if someone comes and visits me but then I have to make myself presentable and you know you put all this pressure on yourself and I think it's also you know um people are very um very quick to comment on your body and your shape after you have a baby too and um i had a few comments and i know the people didn't mean to say anything but you know your body changes and you have to adapt to that and i think that's really really hard you're a person before you have the baby and then that person or that body is gone yeah you know i i'm three or four dress sizes bigger than i was before i had hugo and and, and I'm fine with that now, but at the time, I like physically being in pain and, and being tired and then looking down at this body every morning going, go, who are you? Yeah. You know, on top of everything else, it's yeah. it's all, you know, there's a lot of adjustment needed. Yeah, I, I can really relate to that. Like I'm, you and I, we had our babies around the same time and um, I was just saying to a friend of mine this week, I just still don't feel right in my body. It's, I'm a different shape and I don't know how to dress it. And I do, my clothes don't feel right. And I don't, you know, I don't feel right in my body. And all of those things come together, you know, and can can cause big problems. I think so. And because I had, I didn't have the clothes and we had moved house when I was just before I had Hugo and I didn't know where things were. And then I was breastfeeding. So I needed access for the boob and you know, it was like, how do I dress this? So I start buying stuff online and then it was arriving and it was too small or it was too big or just, you know, and I didn't even like trying on the stuff then, you know. But um, yeah, we're, we're getting there. Now that I've been out walking the last little while, you know, and um, I think that just, even just getting some fresh air, even though I didn't want to at the start, you know. Yeah. So at what stage did you think, okay, I think maybe there is a problem here? 
Well, when I, the day after I had Hugo, the, the mental health midwife came and spoke to myself, my partner in the hospital, and she had made a long term plan for when he was a couple of months old. So I knew that appointment was looming. And I suppose I didn't really want to admit that I wasn't coping because you're trying to be Wonder Woman, aren't you? Yeah. I should be really happy and I should be really, you know, all these things that you're you're told that you should be after having a baby. But you just, you know, you're human and you've so much to contend with. So I cancelled the appointment as a, I think he was two months old yeah. and I cancelled it. And um, But they were great here because they just got back in touch and... They said, we need to reschedule your appointment. And I was like, oh, God, I have this thing. And my partner was like, I think you should really, really go. It might be good to talk to somebody. And I was like, what, do you think I'm crazy? How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not crazy. You're just not helping. Um, but he was. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so I, I came in and had my first appointment with Louise when Hugo was about three months. And I lied a little bit through that appointment I was like everything is fine and everything is fine and I'm a little bit not fine but I'm you know mostly fine yeah Yeah. I kind of painted over it and she said okay that's great um she wanted a a background you know um all about me and everything to do with me and you know the past and I was like god that was really heavy um I don't know really if I want to go back but she said oh I'll make an appointment for a couple of weeks time and when I went back a couple of weeks later, then it was like the floodgates opened and I was like, I don't think I was really honest with you the last time. Mm. Um, I was trying to be with this persona of everything is OK mm. and it's not. So, um, yeah, I was just honest with her and I told her about a typical day and I told her that I'm not really seeing people. And when I am, I'm just kind of glossing over everything and I'm like, I'm not washing myself, I'm not brushing my teeth. I don't want to get dressed. I don't want to have to do anything. Um, which is really, really tough because like a really exciting thing had happened to me and I opened an art studio with two others that I was in college with. And, um, you know, um, and, th- and that was really busy. And then I felt guilty because I wasn't there to help them with the startup of that, even though we'd been planning for over a year. And, you know, so I was guilty about not being in the studio and not being there to, to get it up and set, set up and ready. And then I was feeling guilty because I was fighting with my 12 year old son. And then I was, you know, fighting with my partner and crying a lot. And but lack of sleep, too, from the breastfeeding, I think it was, um, you know, as I said, I think it's just there's so many pieces to it. It's not just one thing that you can say. Um, But I mean, and I mean, through that, like loving the fact that I had Hugo at the same time, you know, but happy in the bubble. And it was funny because I went back to see the mental health midwife last week and I started on medication a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, a month. I'm on, on them now a month. And um, I was always very, no, I'm not going to medication. I don't need it. I'll just do self-talk and I'll do, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and I'll just speak my, my way out of this. Um, but I just, I just couldn't. Uh, I just needed the help. And it took me a while to admit that. Like I had... The prescription before you know for a little while before I got it and my cousin actually was really really good my masseuse is my cousin mm-hmm. and she had been on medication and just come off it six weeks ago and she'd been on it for over a year and she just said like just just go with it and just see how long it takes and don't be so judgmental you just you need it to get out of this yeah. 
this place that you're in because nothing else is working for you so, yeah. so maybe give it a try I think there is a perception sometimes about medication and I think particularly if you're someone who kind of has been generally mentally well through your life that it's it's somehow like a failure or um, it's scary or it, once you go on it you'll be on it forever yeah. you know all that stuff um, but it but it I mean it for for so many people it works brilliantly to help bridge the gap between you know where they are and, and where they want to be definitely um and I mean you know I I'm enjoying being out now and I I know that I'm only on a very small dose of medication but I can see the big difference my partner can see a big difference the constant crying has stopped you know um I'm I'm, I'm washing myself <laughs> like I know that sounds crazy but when I went back to Louise last week, the mental health uh, midwife, she said to me, um, you seem like you're in, in better form. So it was, you know, three and a half weeks. So I'd been on the medication that long. And she said, um, she read back some of the things I'd said to her at the last appointment before the medication. And I don't remember saying those things. Yeah. You know, she was talking about me possibly getting somebody to mind the baby for a little while while I did something. And I said to her, I don't know if I should say it, but I said to her, I'd rather run it. Uh, throw myself under a bus and let anybody look after the baby and I said really I said that like I don't remember saying that at all and there was another you know a few other things and you know um it it was pretty much a a little bit of a wake-up call then when I was there going I I made the right decision to go on the medication because well, that's not it. right got to a, feel like that a bit of distance now from that I suppose yeah you can look at it with a different perspective no I'm not better all of a sudden no you know there's still times when I'm low during the day or when I just go oh god and but I think that's human you know um you can't just click on medication and everything's fine you still have to work through what was there anyway you know yeah yeah um just I think that the negative self-talk has lessened and that's what I said to Louise you know you get these kind of green thoughts and red thoughts and I said there's more green thoughts as in happy you know it's like traffic light system um I'm not beating myself up. I'm not looking at my body in the morning going, oh God, you know, um, and I think that's, that's an awful lot to do with it too, you know? Yeah. And it sounds like you're really grateful for the persistence shown by the, by the mental health team. Definitely. She's lovely, lovely, uh, woman. And I mean, even the receptionist is just so accommodating. Like anytime I rang, cause I felt really bad about canceling it. Mm. And, um, I remember the first time I rang and she said, that's absolutely no problem. I'll be in touch with you and we'll, you know, and it was lovely. And then another time I think I cancelled. So I cancelled twice. Another time I think I cancelled like the day before and I felt so bad. Mm. And I rang and I was so apologetic. And she said, that's absolutely understandable. And are you OK? You know, even the receptionist asked me, yeah. you know, which is really, really nice to not feel like, <laughs> you know, you're putting somebody out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they and she worked so so well with uh reaccommodating me as well you know she was just like when are you free and what time suits you and you know we'll see what louise has then to to work to work with you you know Um, flexible really really flexible and and just i think louise has a lovely demeanor and Mm. you feel safe in that environment too it's just a really nice um and it's nice to have somebody impartial that you can say things to that isn't judging you that's not family that's not friends and that you can just be truthful to in that space yeah and also I think when you've just had a baby like and especially if you're if you're someone who has an active life outside of being a mother um it can be 
very hard when your whole life is taken up by taking care of everyone else and you know in your situation you had Hugo your new baby you had your older son you had your your partner who you probably were feeling guilty about the way you guys were interacting because I'm, I'm maybe I'm projecting but I certainly experienced that you know it's it's hard there's a lot of pressure and to go and talk to someone you know have an hour or however long that's about you and to take a bit of time for yourself I think is really important you know um the one of the things that she said to me because my my partner had said to me a couple of times oh you're angry you know you're so angry and um and not even just angry but you know it was all the feelings that I had and I thought that they were me if you know what I mean so Louise said to me you are not anger 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 is what you're feeling you know, frustration is what you're feeling. Sadness is what you're feeling. You are not sadness. You are not these things. You can't actually be a word or a feeling. Yeah. You know, this is how you feel. This is not who you are. And I think that's one of the most precious things that I took away. Yeah. Because after that, you know, she said to me, I, I really think you're suffering with postnatal depression. Um, and I sobbed my heart out when she said that. And she said, I'm really sorry. And I said, no, it's okay. I, I've known but I didn't want to admit it. And just even hearing you say that, I just find it really hard to swallow and I don't know why. And I just, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be. And, you know, I would try my best. And obviously I had some preconceptions of, you know, I just didn't want to. (laughs) Does does that make sense? Well, of course. I mean, who, nobody wants, nobody wants it. (laughs) I I rang my partner after the appointment and he said, how'd you get on? And I was standing in Tesco around the corner from um, the rotunda and I just stood in the fruit aisle roaring, crying. And I said, she said, I I have postnatal depression. He said, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I said, and you know, and then I was like <laughs> in the aisle and he said, it's okay. Now we can do something about it. Yeah. Now we can take action. Yeah. And that was so lovely. And it wasn't until I couldn't talk about it that evening and I couldn't talk about it the next day. So on the Saturday he made dinner and we sat down and I had a glass of wine and he said, oh, are you ready to talk? And I did. And, you know, he just said, it's, you have gone through a trauma as well as everything else that, you know, it's going to take some time, but at least we can now address it. And at least we're not sitting back and not doing anything about it. So as much as we have been having fights because you've been in this kind of denial, things will get better now because we can talk about it and we can address it and, you know, and discuss what, what way we're going to handle it. Like, or, you know. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's a really important yeah. message in the context of this podcast and people listening who maybe are pregnant and they might experience postnatal depression or maybe people who are experiencing it right now is that, you know, it's perfectly natural to be upset about that diagnosis or to be scared of that diagnosis. Because as we said, I mean, nobody wants it. You don't get pregnant no. to go, oh, I hope I have postnatal depression. Yeah. Like, no, that's not how it goes. But there is a comfort in it because it is a starting point yeah. and it means you can you know there, there there are professionals who are there ready to help you there's structures in place to help you because lots of women experience this exactly exactly and, and not to be so judgmental on yourself and be gentle on yourself and I think it's really really important um that maybe it's talked about at antenatal more mm-hmm. or yeah antenatal um more than um than it is because just to put some things in place for yourself. I mean, self-care is so, so important. And I had absolutely none from when he was born. I just didn't prioritize myself. And, you know, my partner would say, do you want me to take him? And is there anything I can do? And no. 
and it's kind of nearly like I was wallowing in yeah what I was feeling yeah um and so I wasn't even taking time out to have a bath I was like nearly begrudgingly saying to him I didn't even get to have a bath that's all I wanted today and he's like well just let me know tell me what you need you know that's there's no problem with you taking an hour to have a bath obviously but I wasn't allowing myself have that you know and and that's it's I don't think it's I suppose wallowing in it I think it just I couldn't give myself that because I I was just lost yeah um well you were being really really hard on yourself yeah, definitely um so I, th- I definitely think self-care and just having that hour for a cup of tea f- with a friend um you know having 15 minutes walk outside not even to go for a walk if you're not physically able but just even to be in the fresh air away from people for a few minutes and yeah, yeah I think I should have um I should have been more generous with my self-care which I am doing now you know yeah. good yeah. good and you're feeling like things are moving in the right direction yeah um I actually put on a little bit of makeup before I came in I haven't I put on makeup uh, actually with myself my partner my son was with his dad on Sunday and we went to Yamamori I'm not plugging Yamamori but it's my favorite restaurant <laughs> <laughs> and okay. yeah and um we I put some makeup on and, and got you know some nice clothes on and I was like, wow, I haven't done this in a good few months. Yeah. You know, just a little bit of BB cream and mascara goes a long way to make you feel good. You Look, know? I am your yeah. sister in yeah. that front. Like, I know that I know, for me, it's a huge makeup is a huge thing. If I I know that if I go for ages and I'm feeling really down, like literally just putting makeup on will make me feel better. Because I, I for me, I, I really enjoy the process, like the creative process of actually doing it. But um, yeah, I think it's that thing of like, you know, putting your clothes on, having a shower. It's not always that simple, but sometimes it really can give you a lift, make you feel a bit like yourself, yeah. even though obviously everything else has changed. <laughs> you know, you are, it's it's that, that, that feeling of, oh, I'm still in there. Like there's still, yeah. you know, I might just be in hiding for a while <laughs> and maybe everything else is more important than me at the moment or it feels like that, but you know, you'll, you'll come out of it again. Yeah. 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 Well, Gemma, thank you so, so much no for talking to us and sharing your experience. I just hope that it, it can help somebody else who's feeling that way. Yeah. Um, you know, just to know you are not, uh, your feelings is, is something that I think is really kind of prominent. And, and if people can take that with them, you know, yeah. that it's it's just something that you have to go through. And the surge of hormones at that time is, you know, it's a lot to just be gentle with yourself yeah really, absolutely really gentle with yourself no I think what you've said will be really helpful to lots of people um, and that's that's the whole point we're doing of doing this well, thanks um, for having me not at all thank you now we have Geraldine to talk about her experience Geraldine uh, you have written about postnatal depression and parental burnout for the Irish Times uh, what made you speak out about it I think that an awful lot of people feel um, that we have to be the best that we can be Um and I know from my own experience that just doesn't translate to real life. So um, I'm lucky enough that I do have a platform to actually talk about these things in the media. Mm. So um, one of my um, things that I find is important for me to do as well as um, to help others is to talk as openly and honestly about all of these experiences of parenthood. It's such a complex journey that you know there's no straight line with any of this um, and we all have our ups and downs so the more we talk about it I do feel like the better the more yeah. we can be open well I couldn't agree more tell us a little bit about your parental journey um so I have two kids I have Allegra who's six and Devon who's two and a half 
and um after Allegra was born I had very mild postnatal depression which I didn't recognize um not until my second baby um so I sort of got through that on my own um and I shouldn't have I should have had help um when it comes to Devon um she was born in May 2017 but when I was 10 weeks pregnant on Devon I suffered a bleed and I was convinced I was going to lose loser I just 100% thought I was miscarrying it turns out I was having um a subchorionic hematoma which is like a bleed underneath the baby um which does have a risk of miscarriage so I felt for the rest of my pregnancy that I had to hold this baby in I literally felt um, like my body was not good enough um, and that even though I had a three and a half year old to run around after, I was so consumed with the idea of being pregnant and trying to protect this little baby and feeling like there's nothing I could do about it but every day just go with it and see what happens. Thank God now she was born completely fine in um, in, in the May. But um, And did you feel any relief in that? unbelievable relief Um, so after she was born I had this intense sense of euphoria like I've never experienced before in my life I have never been happier than when I was holding that little baby in my arms it turns out that that euphoria was actually linked to my postnatal depression Um, so the trigger for postnatal depression and anxiety for me was that bleed at 10 weeks Um, and then it wasn't until it well well now lucky for me um two weeks after Devon was born my mum and my sister both recognized that my behavior was way out of whack this was not me I was like frustrated and angry I was constantly giving out to Allegra like the poor child she was only three and a half and I was I was shouting at her because I couldn't cope I was um I actually hate saying that I couldn't cope because it, it's um and I hate the word struggling because it's not that's not really what it was like um I was suffering so much with everything that was going on um, that I couldn't differentiate between real life and all of these emotions that were going around my body. Um, so my, my mom and my sister, they literally sat me down and said, there's something going on here. We need to address this. So I went to, um, I, was having, I had my two week checkup um, with my local GP, but my GP wasn't there, it was a locum. And I was talking to the local and I was basically saying I wasn't feeling great. Um, I definitely feel like my mood has changed. Um, and I explained I was having intense anxiety. And she basically said to me, well, we can put you on medication um, if I want. That was the phrase she said, if you want. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, I want to know my options. I wanted to know what support was out there for me, what I could actually do. And um, there, was no, there was no other solution. Literally, it was medication or nothing. I had been on medication before and I didn't want to go down that route again um, because I didn't, I didn't like who I was when I was on medication. So um, I kind of left it. It was like, well, that's it. I have to just sort of struggle through and see how I get on. Um, and then on the six week... Did you feel like that was feasible? Like that was something you could no. do? Or did you feel... Oh, no. no. Oh, no. I felt unbelievably broken. Yes. Um, I wasn't me. Um, I, could, I genuinely couldn't see a way out of it. I think at the peak of the anxiety, I was having 30 anxiety attacks a day. Wow. Um, it literally took over my life. I couldn't control it. I couldn't rationalize 
all of these feelings I knew it wasn't right I knew there was something wrong but it was just becoming a part of me it was it was I was so negative mm. and it was reflecting off my children as well mm. so uh, at the six week public health nurse the checkup came out for the she came out sorry I'll say it again the, the public health nurse came out of the six week checkup for the baby and for some reason I always assumed that the public health nurse was there for the baby never in my wildest dreams thought that she was there for me as well yeah. um, completely forgetting that you know she was there for for a mother as well and she asked me um, she actually she was tidying away all of her instruments and equipment that she was using to measure the baby and stuff and she was tidying everything away and she just stopped and she sat down on my couch and she said Geraldine how are you and God love the, the poor woman I broke down I just cried and cried and cried because being asked how was I was a big big deal um, it's amazing how powerful that question can yeah, be yeah. when you really need to be asked yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my mum and my sister and my husband, they all knew I was going through something, but they didn't know how to talk to me about it. Yeah. I didn't know how to talk to them about it. Yeah. If they asked me how I was, I would feel like they were basically saying, are you better yet? <laughs> you know, so it wasn't a case of my my family were there. They were there to support me, but they weren't the, the support that I needed at that moment in time. Um, so when I explained to the public health nurse what I was going through and how I was feeling and that I didn't want to go on medication she asked me have you looked into counselling and I had never thought about counselling before in my life I'd never been to a counsellor it wasn't something I thought that you could manage to get through anxiety for and she gave me a number for the nurture charity and I, um, I immediately the next day I called them and I got an appointment and I set up my, my appointments with um, the counsellor and I went weekly and it was the most intense experience of my life. So I started counselling three months after, um, I think it was about three months after Devon was born at this stage. And yeah, it was heartbreaking. They were the most intensive conversations I've ever had in my life. But uh, there was a few things that the counsellor taught me on how to get through on a daily basis which I still use today mm. and one of the first things she said to me was um, that made me realise how important I was in my children's lives um, because I wanted to run away at this mm. stage I just I just thought they were better off without me there was there was no point in me being there dad was enough um, I wasn't doing them any good and she said to me what I want you to do Geraldine is when you get up in the morning is make a list of everything you want to achieve in a day. So whether I wanted to put the laundry on, get the little one to Montessori, feed the baby, you know, simple things like that. Um, write them all down. And then at the end of the day, take off everything that I managed to do, but then add on everything else that I did. So from getting myself dressed to making the beds, making a cup of tea, checking the post, you know, small things, everything, write every single thing down. And I, I did that for a couple of weeks and I never got to the end of the list because there was just so much. I did so much in a day, but I never appreciated how much I was able to manage. Yeah. Um, because I'll, when, I, when I would look back at my days, I would only see the anxiety. I would only see the frustration and the anger and how often I shouted at the kids or, you know, the, the way it, it all comes out is is really harsh and your little ones are the ones that take the brunt of it my husband was at work nine to five and i was in the house all day with the kids um 
especially those first six weeks. I live in the countryside and I had a C-section, so I couldn't drive. Um, at the time, you know, everybody says they'll come out and visit you and, and help you in those first few weeks. And I didn't get any visitors um, bar the first week. And my husband, of course, went back to work after the two weeks leave. And, you know, that was the height of it, really, when everything was just falling, breaking loose. Um, and slowly but surely with the counselling and um, she was teaching me mindfulness and how to see these feelings and these emotions that I'm going through and accept them without trying to get rid of them, mm. um, which was a very hard thing to try to understand at the beginning. Mm. Um, I, when I thought of mindfulness, I used to think it was just meditation. Mm. But for like in reality what mindfulness is is recognizing those feelings and literally just saying it's okay to feel like this mm. and eventually the feeling disappears and mm. um, it's very hard practice to do i'll be honest with you it was really hard to get used to but it did help um and took a lot a lot of practice to actually do it mm. um i would say that it took me about two years to finally feel like myself yeah. it was a long long journey and did you feel within those two years did you feel like you were getting there like did you feel like you were making progress or did it feel kind of bleak throughout the first year was the hardest yeah. um so much so that I can't even remember an awful lot of the first year yeah. I don't remember those like I don't remember weaning Devon I don't remember you know when she started crawling those milestones, I miss them all because it's it's obviously my mind has tried to bury them and mm -hmm. um, because that was such a dark period of my life. But after her first birthday, I did start to feel a little bit of relief um, and I could see an end to it. It still took another year to really feel like I was out of it. Um, I think my last my last panic and anxiety attack was February this year. So it's been nine months then since your last yeah. attack. Yeah. Mm. Since the last attack. Now that's not to say I didn't have anxiety yeah. since then, but the last big attack was February. And how does it feel to say that? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Because, you know, I mean, literally I had 30 and at the peak, 30 anxiety attacks a day, which was huge. Um, It was all, all I knew was anxiety. I just can't, I just can't imagine dealing with that and taking care of your two kids like at the same time that must have been excruciating and what the hardest part of it for me is that my kids saw an awful lot of it I would do my best not to be in the room when I knew it was happening how but, did it physically present oh well it would always start with um, extreme nausea and feeling physically sick which was a symptom I didn't uh, think came with anxiety I mean yeah. I think we've all had anxiety and panic attacks in our lives well we all we all experience yeah, anxiety exactly, the yeah. feeling yeah but on a daily um, basis, when um, you're walking around and out of absolutely nowhere, you suddenly feel, I mean, it was kind of like morning sickness. <laughs> I just suddenly felt like I needed to throw up. Um, I would get pain in my shoulders, um, which obviously was from the stress and um, headaches, intense headaches, uh, shaking. Um, and then uh, like all of a sudden I couldn't stand. Um, I'd be falling to the floor. Okay, yeah. Um, 
and like all of these anxiety and panic attacks would last um from like five minutes up to half an hour right and trying to keep your kids away from seeing that yeah impossible yeah yeah. impossible and the other part of it was the anger and frustration which came out um when the anxiety was bubbling always under the surface and I was trying to avoid an attack it would come out as anger and my kids would get the brunt of it um because they were the ones that were there yeah yeah I mean that's all totally understandable but I mean I can understand that that must be even now I'm sure it's very hard to heartbreak I'm trying not to cry yeah yeah well I totally get that I mean how but what else could you have done I mean nothing exactly I couldn't have I couldn't have done anything aside from try to get better yeah um, which I did thank yeah. god um I think if I hadn't recognized so early on what I was going through um it would have manifested probably even worse and if it had gotten any worse than what it was I don't know where I'd be and do you feel proud of yourself unbelievably yeah. like when you when you walk out of this journey um and you can you're in your house and your kids are playing around you and you feel so content with the fact that you know you're not going to go back there yeah um it's hard to to get out of it um it's hard to stay out of it because I'm not going to lie there are still days that are tough but now I have to tell myself this is just a bad day Mm. this is not you going back to where you were there was a long time there where my husband would say to me um how are you feeling are you okay I'm like yeah I'm grand why because I'm just I'm just worried you're going to go back like I'll never go back I will never ever be back in that spot again Mm. because I couldn't let myself experience that again Mm. um but also you've learned you know you've learned all these new skills Mm. yeah Yeah. um which you pursued and made happen for yourself and I still it's not easy to go to counseling every no it's not um I there was one day where the counseling session was so difficult um I had Devin with me and I had been trying not to bring her with me um I had been getting uh, childminders but um there was this one day I had her with me and I was driving back home and I couldn't see for the tears that were coming down and so I had to literally park up and and stop because I was crying so much yeah um, because it hurts so mm. much you go through so much with counselling mm. and an awful lot comes out that you're not aware of yeah um, so it's a very hard process but for me it was the one that worked for me yeah yeah and I mean the thing is that like obviously you know talking about the that experience for your children like I, I mean I completely empathise I can only imagine what it feels like but the result of all that time is that you presumably do you feel like you're better even than you were before or I feel like I'm a better mom now yeah um because I've learned an awful lot about myself yeah um I've learned how how strong I am um you don't come out of this experience and go back to being the same person it does change you for the better hopefully um and also if they ever experience anything similar you'll be an incredible support to them but I'm I mean it's just it's great to hear that you have come to such a, a kind of positive place and that you know, you took the journey that felt right for you because obviously there's lots of different ways that you can be treated for postnatal depression and medication can be hugely successful for lots of people. Um, but but this is the the journey that you chose um, and the path that you chose to, to get back to yourself. And it seems like you're very happy with that. I am, yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who may be in the place that you were after having Devin? I think if you can recognize that it's not you, um, there was one thing that I did was name my anxiety. So we called it um, the freaking flamingo. 
and it was a way to differentiate between me as mum and the anxiety that I was suffering because it's not you it's not what it's not a part of you it's not a part of your personality it doesn't define you um and there is a way out but you you need to put yourself first I think one of the problems we have as women and as mothers is that we do 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 and do we do for everybody we are looking after the kids we're looking after our partner we're looking after the house and we forget to put ourselves on the list um so we don't have to be top of the list but we need to be on the list somewhere and if you can remember that you're as important as everybody else in the house and to get the support and help that you need to find your way back in many ways as important if not more important because everybody else needs you yes to keep them going yeah yeah so it's it's actually entirely selfless to take care of yourself in the context of your family um well thank you so much I think that's been you know thank you so much for being so generous with your experience and I'm sure that there'll be lots of people who will hear that and and empathize and kind of take take heart from it so thank you very much Geraldine Walsh And now, Dr. Richard Duffy, perinatal psychiatrist, and Louise Rafferty, mental health support midwife, are our experts today. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Okay, Richard, you are a consultant of perinatal psychiatry. So what's the difference between psychiatry and psychology? Okay, so um, I would have trained as a doctor and done a medical degree and then specialized in psychiatry. Um, So psychiatry would deal with more of the medical end. And so... While we'd still be very familiar with the talking-based therapies, we would do um, a lot of the prescribing, um, and so, so yeah, so so the prescribing. But also, we'd maybe have a more of an understanding of the relationship between physical health um, and psychological health. Though right. many psychologists are very um, up to speed with that as well. Okay, yeah, you're not you're not getting down on psychology. No, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm very pro psychology. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what are some of the most common mental health challenges you see? Yeah, so, so, so we see, a, we really see a wide range. Probably the most common things we see are we, we see a lot of anxiety, a, a lot of depression. And I think depression is, is increasingly kind of recognized as a, a very common occurrence in, in pregnancy. And so often the anxiety is the one that, that people are maybe a bit more surprised to be experiencing or they're a bit more, um, I was going to say they're a bit more anxious about it, but they're, you know, they're, they're it's, People aren't as familiar with dealing with it, and so sometimes they're, they're they're they can be quite um surprised to experience such high levels of anxiety, um, but but equally you know increasingly now we see people who've experienced traumatic births, um, and and what's really positive now is we're seeing people who have had a previous history of mental health problems who are well but are just coming to see us to make sure that during the pregnancy they they stay well. Right. And so just going back to the anxiety, um, because people may think that they're familiar with depression around pregnancy and kind of the symptoms and what to look out for, but maybe not so much with anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, how does that present itself? Yeah. And, and, and anxiety itself can present lots of, lots of different ways. And so we'd see a lot of people who will be having panic attacks. And um, so really intense episodes, 15, 20, even up to an hour. Um, uh, 15, 20 minutes long, um, uh, but also some people just with um, constant anxiety. So it's maybe not as intense as a panic attack, but it's really there all the time. But then we see people with um, obsessional thoughts. And so often in pregnancy, um, thoughts that are that people would associate with, with obsessive compulsive disorder can, can start to emerge. 
people can get really unusual um obsessive thoughts that, that can disturb them and they really think they're becoming quite unwell um, and you know it, it is a sign they are becoming unwell but it's also better management I mean it's natural when you're pregnant I think to be a little bit worried because you're producing a new life and you feel a great responsibility and yeah. um, so when does you know the the natural kind of normal for want of a better word worry cross over into something that's problematic or maybe needs extra help yeah that can, that can be a really hard question to to ask or to, to answer and um, I suppose the thing that we, we always really come back to in psychiatry is is, is functioning, you know. And so if, if, if you're no longer able to do the things that you did during the day, if, if that's really impacting you, or if, if your anxiety is really impacting that, then it's really um, worth seeking some kind of help. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think when the, the, the thoughts of worry are, are, are there all the time, when they're really beginning to take away your enjoyment of, of day-to-day life, it's worth um, seeking help. And I... And, and you see some people who they are still functioning, but they're still functioning because they are trying as hard as they possibly can. And, you know, I think it'd be great for those people to, to seek some help earlier rather than, you know, waiting till, till they've totally come to an end of what they can cope with. And just finally on that, because I'm conscious of the fact that there may be someone listening who's thinking, oh, that's me. Um, yeah. I, I am that person. Um, what how can that be helped? Um, what would you say to kind of comfort them in terms of what might happen if they did seek help? Yeah, no, like the, the, these things are very manageable. You know, there, there is lots that can be done to greatly improve people's symptoms. We see people who make a, a, a full recovery from the, this and, and often that's, that's what we expect to happen. And so both, um, yes, yeah, so, 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 so what I'd say is to, to, to do seek help and that may be through your GP might be through the um, specialist perinatal um, mental health services, and we can, we can come on to talk a bit about them and how you access them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would definitely be to, to, to seek, seek some help from a, from a professional. Maybe if it's, for some people, it's, it's, it's not quite at that level yet, but even just to flag it with friends and family, because I think they might be very well positioned to say, no, no, this is something very serious that needs help, um, or, or even just to offer some support for a while to see do things just settle naturally. Often just saying these things out loud to another yeah. person can be very helpful as well, can't it, really? Yeah. It takes a lot of the power away from them because you, you kind of sit there and they're, they're, they're menacingly sitting in your head and yeah. you're, you're worrying more and more about yeah. it's very good to share them. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of just saying things out loud. I think it, it, in itself it can be quite healing. Um, so, Louise, we mentioned that depression is something that I suppose we talk about a lot more these days around pregnancy, postnatal depression. I know it can happen before people give birth as well. It can happen in pregnancy. Um, but I suppose sometimes people have a hard time distinguishing between baby blues, and I'm using air quotes, and what is actual diagnosed postnatal depression. Is there a difference? Oh, absolutely. There is a difference. And so far, just um, as Dr. Duff, or Richard was saying there about anxiety, you can't, everyone will have anxiety. We all have anxiety. It's part of living and it's a very important part of our lives as such because it motivates us, gets us up out of bed in the morning, makes us think about future events and things. And no more than that with depression, people will feel low occasionally and off, uh, occasionally. 
everybody will have a low mood and they'll respond appropriately to bereavement in their families or illness and by feeling a little bit worried, a little bit sad, a little bit upset about that. With baby blues, though, there is a change in hormonal levels with the pregnancy. And at the end of pregnancy, women might notice that they even go to the toilet an awful lot more in the first 48 hours after the baby has been born because we call it physiological changes, which basically just means physical changes in the body. And no more than they happen, changes happen in the mind as well. And women can feel sad and feel overwhelmed and feel very tearful with baby blues for no particular reason, but they're self-limiting and they're very short-lived. And it might only happen for 20 minutes in the shower or when their husband comes in to visit them in hospital or up to about two weeks after the baby is born. It wouldn't last for that long. But with postnatal depression, that's quite different. Their mood is really low. It's low all the time. It doesn't lift. It's like a big dark cloud over their head. Their motivation is suddenly, is not suddenly, but gets affected by that insofar as they don't feel like getting up and doing anything. They're no longer looking forward to activities and the slightest little task requires an enormous amount of effort and energy from a person who's feeling depressed. So depression is quite different from baby blues or just feeling a little bit low. It'll last for, if it's lasting for 10 days, two weeks or longer, really then people, if their own support structures aren't working like the immediate family, friends, that's when they need to start seeking help. Talk to the public health nurse about it because she'll visit in the home. Talk to midwives about it if they're visiting you. Talk to your GP about it because women go to their GP with their babies before they'll go about themselves. And then they might escalate it to coming and talking to the perinatal mental health support midwives like I am. or to And we might refer on to the consultant psychiatrist or the GP may refer on to the consultant psychiatrist. But it's very different to baby blues. Baby blues happen for about 80% of the population. And they are self-limiting. That's the most important thing about them. Yeah. Um, I know with my after my first pregnancy... Um, I didn't feel right and, and it took me a year really to kind of rebalance and I think with hindsight I probably did have something going on mm-hmm. um, and I did mention it to the public health nurse and I did mention it to my GP and to be honest I'm not very happy I wasn't happy then I'm not very happy now with the responses that I got mm-hmm. the suggestion mm-hmm. kind of was go for a walk get out of the house and I was doing those things and you know they weren't working for me now I I perhaps could have pursued it further but if you could speak to me back then coming out of that appointment and feeling like well I've just said that I'm not feeling great and I've just been told to go for a walk and you know I I know myself that that's not enough you know if someone doesn't feel Mm. like they get a satisfying answer from say the public health nurse or their GP where else can they go? The, the nice thing about the service that we're providing here in the Rotunda with the perinatal mental health support midwives is that women can refer themselves directly to us. Fantastic. And in fact, we prefer that women call us directly rather than getting referrals through a public health nurse or a GP because then the women will attend. Yeah. They have a vested interest in coming to the appointments. We do audits on our attendance rates and we find the attendance rates for patients who've been referred to us by others. Don't They have a higher do not attend rate than those who self-refer. So in fact, we're in favor of women taking the onus on themselves. If they feel they need it, then refer on to us. And I think, you know, the public health nurses and the GPs can provide a lot of what we do, but they're time limited. We give more time. When we meet a lady, we meet for up to an hour. So that gives plenty of time for that discussion about exactly what's happening, exactly how they're feeling. And we might recommend the same things the GP recommended, but I think the fact that we give people a chance to really explain what's happening for them 
and that they feel their story is validated and it's been heard very clearly yeah. and very well understood, that makes a big difference then for the patient yeah. as such or the lady who's had the baby and attends our services. I think it can be um, difficult for some people after they have a baby to maybe feel like their problem is, and I'm using air quotes, bad enough to seek help. Um, so if someone, say, came, referred themselves to your services, to the perinatal mental health services, and came in, and they were kind of like, oh, I don't know if I'm bad enough, or I don't know if my problem is bad enough, what would happen? They're not going to get a slap on the wrist, are they? Oh, gosh, no. no. <laughs> I mean, actually, most women who come in and sit down and have that up to an hour of discussion and talking. By the end of it, they're sitting there going, I was really nervous about coming in here today. That would be a very common theme that I would hear back from women. They're reporting back to me and that they're really glad they came in because they got that space and that opportunity. Because a lot of it, like you were saying, when you're sitting at home for that year, you're really wondering, well, what is going on? What is normal about this and not normal about this? And there's a huge adaptation to becoming a mom. Yes. To go from being a single person, a, a woman, becoming a partner, becoming a pregnant woman, and then having a baby. And suddenly you cannot walk out that door ever again without actually organizing some care for the child before you do that. So your life changes in a huge amount of ways. Yeah, I was shocked, I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of women are, and a lot of women feel that. And the structure of society has changed so much that your mom isn't around or your sisters aren't around or your aunts aren't around to say to you, this is a very normal thing. This yeah. is what happens. So by coming in, we have that discussion, actually. Yeah. A lot of it, I think, is replacing what may have happened in society yeah. heretofore when families were closer to one another. Yeah. But with the changes in society and women living so far away, and we have a lot of women from overseas as well who attend the services. So they're isolated and people can be very socially isolated with their new baby. Yeah. And so all those changes then seem really big for them. Yeah. And, and if I may just continue, I think that's where peer support becomes a really important factor for new mums and yeah. even pregnant mums is other mothers, mm. because suddenly they go along to a group and they meet other mothers and they're having a coffee and they share what's happened for them in the last 24 hours. And they realize wow, this is what's happening for everybody else because everybody shares with one another. And they walk out of it feeling 10 ton lighter because yeah. they realize that all the experiences they're having when they thought they were being a bad mom or that there was something wrong with them are perfectly normal parts of being a new mom. Yeah, it was a game changer for me when I met other mothers who were kind of similar in mindset to me. It completely turned everything around. I, yes. I definitely, yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, now, we also have to talk about hormones because we can't possibly have this conversation without mentioning them because they do play a large role, um, don't they, post-pregnancy and during pregnancy in terms of mood. Um, Richard, what impact do they have? They do seem to have a, a huge impact, but at the same time, the the, the treatments for for the mental health conditions don't don't target hormones. And so, so we, we still treat it the way we treat other um, mental health difficulties. But yeah. They, they can have a huge factor and um, they can play a huge factor and um, but also there's just so many other things going on as well there's um there's 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 so, so much change in uh change in your role in life and so much of your time is taken up your sleep is impaired and so and and all that all that in and of itself as well has, uh, they have impacts they increase people's anxiety and so um it's it's I suppose the perinatal period it's such a complex period and there's so many different factors that are all uh, all interacting with each other which includes hormones which are part of it but also includes 
somebody's pre-existing pre pre uh, mental health difficulties, someone's social network, someone's, um, um, yes, yeah, so, so, someone, someone's free time, so, someone's own uh, psychological makeup. You know, some people are just anxious people um, and, and, and they can have a very hard time in, a, uh, in pregnancy. Their anxiety can really flare up. And so, so there's just so many different factors that, 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 that all interact. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about pre-existing <laughs> mental health difficulties because, for example, if you are someone who has bipolar disorder and you're hoping to get pregnant, you might be concerned about how your medication will work with your pregnancy, how that can all be managed. So if someone does have a pre-existing condition and they're considering getting pregnant or they are pregnant, what should they do? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so firstly, a pre-existing condition is is no reason not to plan to get pregnant. Okay. You know, so, so people who have pre-existing mental health difficulties and want to get pregnant should should very much plan to get pregnant and, and should seek support about how to do that in the in the in the best possible way. Um it is the new perinatal mental health services will offer pre uh, preconception counseling. And so if somebody's on medication and they're concerned about becoming pregnant on medication, they're they wonder about stopping medication and we're very happy to see them before they conceive um, and to, to just explore that with them. Um, we, we often come across people who've been told either by family members or by GPs, just stop all your medications. And, and that can be really problematic and that can lead to a relapse. And sometimes they're told that just when they've become pregnant, someone panics a little and just says, stop everything. And that can lead to a whole pregnancy where somebody is really struggling with their mental health condition, mm -hmm. which is a not a time in your life that you want to be struggling with with mental health problems no, and so certainly not yeah so so by and large most of the medications used are are relatively safe I, that that's that's too broad a statement and you really need to discuss that with your doctor but but there but by and large there isn't a massive panic and um, but it is worth discussing them with your gp and um, prior to becoming prior to becoming pregnant and um, and, and I suppose the other big thing then is just to, when someone is planning or considering becoming pregnant, it is really just maximizing your, your men, or optimizing your mental health before becoming pregnant. Just because you're, as soon as you become pregnant, and as soon as you have a baby, your time, your free time goes out the window. And so getting used to it, it might be doing, beginning to see a psychologist or a cognitive behavioral therapist um, for some sessions, either before you become pregnant or early in the pregnancy, doing some mindfulness, doing some yoga, and just doing things that are really going to put you in a position where you're in a really good um, a good headspace. Um, and, and then you're kind of, you have the headspace to become pregnant. Yeah, yeah. kind of like going to the gym, except for your mind. Yes, yeah, 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 very, yeah, no, it's very similar. Yeah, yeah. getting your mind fixed. Yeah. Um, Louise, what about um, for people who uh, maybe they themselves don't see that there's something going on with them. Maybe they have friends and family who've noticed a change in them. And um, what if someone's listening and they're thinking, oh, I actually think my sister or my aunt or whoever, you know, is not so great in pregnancy or not so great after pregnancy. How can you approach it with them or what can you do? And that could be, well, I suppose it'll cover the spectrum where it can be quite easy or it can be quite difficult or it could be a relief for the person who's suffering for somebody who's near and dear to them to be caring enough to take time. I think the big factor in all of this is time and people are time poor nowadays. So yeah. they have to make a very conscious effort to sit with somebody who they think might need that and actually be beside them. Sometimes being beside somebody is easier than looking at them face on and just having that 
getting a sense of what's going on for them, providing support for them, making them cups of tea, feeding them, making sure they're getting sleep, making sure they're getting relief from the other children, and then allowing a discussion to develop rather than forcing it. The worst thing I think anyone can do when they think somebody really needs help is go in there with that gung-ho approach of, I'm going to fix this here with you now and we're going to sort it all out. Because that can put a lot of defenses up for the person who's feeling vulnerable, feeling low already, and already exerting a huge amount of effort to try and be the best they can possibly be. They will feel very affronted, perhaps, if they're approached like that. So the approach needs to be a very compassionate, a very kind, a very soft, a very gentle approach of just sitting with them, being with them, and then using I rather than you. You know, that I think that um, I notice a difference in you at the moment, and I think that perhaps maybe... I could help you in some ways. Is this true for you or how does it feel for you? But using the I and definitely not in any, you're definitely looking depressed and down, not the direct, you know, a more soft approach. And sometimes that might be enough, but generally, but absolutely the practical things. Practical help is so much more important. I keep saying to new mums, you, you don't need new baby grows. You don't need new blankets, but you do need dinners. Yeah. You need dinners. You need cups of tea. You need visitors to make the cup of tea and clean up the dishes afterwards. You need the very, very practical help and support that is going to allow you to sit and to relax and to recuperate and re regenerate and revive. But I think having your nearest and dearest sit with you and uh, listen to you and be compassionate and be with you rather than any accusatory, just being very careful about that. Because it can be so hard for people to ask for help in general, in life, it's hard to ask for help. But I think when you become a mother, it can be extra hard because sometimes it feels like that's an admission of failure or like you're not doing well enough or you're not succeeding. When in fact, I don't know a single mother who wouldn't absolutely rejoice if someone they loved and trusted came and took their children away for a couple of hours. Always, yeah, but you, yeah. you might not feel like you can ask someone to do that, but if mm, they did it, mm, you'd be mm. delighted. Delighted, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, I, think, yeah. I think that's really that's yeah. a, a really great way of, of suggesting that people approach it. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about self-referral to the perinatal mental health services, but what other resources are available to women, either pre or post uh, delivery, um, in terms of what they can access for their mental health? So there's there's a bunch of I suppose voluntary organisations that are that are helpful and and they're they often they don't they their services aren't specialised to the perinatal period but um so we use a lot of the different voluntary counselling and um um talking based therapy organisations and so I suppose because we're based in the north of Dublin we use Northside Counselling and and DCU's and Healthy Healthy Living Centre. But presumably around the country, but, but, but there around are local, the countries, there's yeah. there's there's lots of different um there's there's lots of different ones, um we recommend people there's a lot of very good apps and so so we we often recommend people to use apps that that um help people use mindfulness and so we we recommend things like Headspace, Cams, um, uh, Mind the Bump is one that's that's tailored to uh to women in um to to, to women who are pregnant, um Bowman Hospital has an excellent website on on mindfulness so we often um we often suggest look at that um but yeah the, then again then there's also you know most gps are really good with this with this area and so it, it's it's a resource that's that, that's available to people that we'd encourage people to to go to their gps to, to to seek advice from their gps and if their gps are stuck they can always come and talk to us and we're very happy to um to to, to discuss any cases with them it seems like the overall message is if you have a concern 
help is there. Yeah, we, we, we'd really rather see people um, who we didn't need to see rather than not see people that we really needed to see. And so like you were saying uh, earlier on that, you know, oh, what if I come and I'm not really sick enough? Brilliant. You know, <laughs> we've just had an easier day. You know, yeah. that's, that, that's great. Because that's much better seeing somebody who probably maybe didn't need to be seen than seeing someone who really needed to be seen and was afraid to come to us. And so we'd, we'd much rather have an open service. And I think a lot of people have found that mental health services can be quite difficult to access. And so the perinatal services across the country, we've tried to make them very open, that people can self-refer. And, um, and I think that's really good. Um, e- equally, it ties in with the, it ties in a little bit about with the uh, baby blues that we were talking, to, talking about earlier. Because I think sometimes people um, are keen to minimize the, the, the problems that they're having. And so we often see people who've had like a, really severe postnatal depression and we're taking a history of them and they're like, oh yeah, I had the baby blues after my last pregnancy. It's like, oh, tell me a bit about that. And they're like, oh, it lasted a year. And it's like, you didn't have the baby blues. You know, someone told you that to kind of minimize it, but actually you probably had a pretty severe episode. And so I think often people minimize um, how difficult they're finding it. They minimize um, kind of symptoms they have just to try and, I don't know, to try and remove stigma or to, to normalize things. Whereas in reality, you know, admitting there's a big risk there and I had a hard time, that opens up people being able to get help and being able to get re- to get um, the different supports that are available. So I just think it's important that, that, it's, that, the, that it's acknowledged for what it is. And yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, it's, it's similar even with risk factors. You know, people might have had a psychotic epi- episode when they were 17 and they're like, oh, I just ignore that. I don't need to bring that up. And it's like, bring that up it probably means it, you're probably right it probably does mean nothing but it might make you just that little bit more high risk and we can keep an eye on you, you yeah know? And so it's it's just always we it's always better for us to know and um to to know about someone's background to know about how how severe things were and if it turns out not to not to lead to them becoming ill great but um but if someone's linked to us there's just more that we can do yeah yeah. Well, I, I think that the services you guys provide are fantastic. And uh, I think it's, I'm, I just had a baby eight weeks ago and I'm having just a, such a completely different experience this time. I feel so different that now I kind of feel like quite confident that there was something probably pretty bad going on with me after my first, my, my first pregnancy and my first delivery. Uh, so, you know, I think it's really I, I wish I'd known then what I know now. Um, obviously, it would have been hugely helpful, but I think it's it's important to say that it's possible to have different experiences. It's possible to seek help. It's possible to overcome all of this. And also, you know, I think you mentioned there, you did mention there that, you know, if you had a psychotic episode, you know, so many years ago, I think I certainly know, I, I know people in my own life who've said, you know, you'd nearly be scared to say it in case people would think, oh, well, you can't have a baby. Um, you know, you're not able for this, but but that's not the case. Oh, yeah. So, like, I, I, I nearly start, not, not always, but I nearly start meetings with the carrier, like, don't take people's children away from them, because people come in terrified to see us. Mm-hmm. I mean, just say, like, look, that's not, that's not, we are here to support people, we're here to, to help people. That is not part of, um, mm-hmm. part of our role. And often we refer to social work, and they're there to help and to support people. And, and while at an extreme end, that is part of their job, most of what they do is, is really maximizing people's capacity to, to care for their children and supporting them and, and uh, supporting them in doing that. And so we, we, we want to 
you know, we want to help people in, in that respect. And it's, 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 it's not our role. It's not what I we think do. we probably, a, a word that I'm thinking of when you're saying that when using support is that our approach is very much a collaborative approach and mm-hmm. working with women. And then working with us as well, we would see it very much as a collaborative approach. I think, I mean, I think it's natural when you're a woman and you have a baby and you're trying to do it for the first time, especially, you know, there's an element of kind of performance because you feel like once you have your baby, you should know exactly what you're doing and and you should know you're suddenly an expert, but that's not how it works. And and nobody knows and everybody's learning as they go on. Um, And so, you know, I think that's why sometimes it is harder to ask for help, but it's very clear that it is worthwhile asking for help, that these things can be managed, that just because you're sick one time doesn't mean you'll be sick another time and that the support is there. So thank you both very much. I really appreciate your contribution today. Professor Brian Cleary, the chief pharmacist, also joins us to give advice on the use of medicines in pregnancy. If I'm thinking about getting pregnant and I'm taking medication for my mental health for depression, who is the first person I should talk to from my healthcare team? The first thing to say is that mental health problems are not uncommon and many women who are pregnant or who may be thinking about becoming pregnant continue to take their their medication during pregnancy. If you are taking medicines for any health condition, including for your mental health, you should talk to your GP or whoever prescribes that medicine before you become pregnant. By doing this, you and your doctor can make a plan about how to manage your mental health and your medication during and after your pregnancy. If you're taking antidepressant medication and you unexpectedly get pregnant, again, talk to your GP or whoever's prescribing your medication as soon as possible. It's very important that you don't stop your medication suddenly unless your doctor advised you to do so. Stopping treatment suddenly can make you relapse and can cause unpleasant side effects. In both cases, women will be supporting their decisions uh, on whether to take their medication or not take their medication during pregnancy. In some cases, you may be referred to another healthcare professional to support you. Many women continue to take their medication during pregnancy, but some may change or stop their medications. These decisions are not straightforward or easy, and they can only be made by an individual woman in consultation and with the support of her healthcare providers. What factors should I take into account? So understandably, it can be difficult to decide about taking medicines during pregnancy. What you can do is weigh up the risks and benefits of taking or or not taking that medicine. Uh, First, it's important to consider the benefit of the medicine and how necessary the therapy is to maintain your health. Remaining well is particularly important before, during and after pregnancy so that you can care for yourself and for your baby. Untreated mental health conditions can cause a number of problems. Um, So some research studies have found that Babies are more likely to have a low birth weight uh, or be delivered prematurely if their mother has depression during pregnancy. So untreated mental illness can also affect the baby in other ways, can lead to developmental problems further on in life. So it is very important that mental health disorders are treated effectively during pregnancy. So the benefits of of treatment must then be weighed up against the potential risk, which is associated with the medication uh, during pregnancy or during breastfeeding. We have good data on commonly used antidepressants during pregnancy. Um, We have information that gives us reassurance about their their safety. Um, There are reports that individual antidepressants might be associated with an increased risk of specific birth defects uh, or complications in the newborn period or developmental effects later in life. However, the evidence in this area is mixed. It's difficult to do research in this context. And in the research studies, it's often very hard to differentiate between the effect of the drug and the effect of the underlying condition of the mother. So you may be comparing women on antidepressants with the population of women who don't take antidepressants. There are lots of differences between those two groups of women 
other than using the medication. Uh, healthcare professionals can help women to think, think through these benefits and risks and interpret the research studies that are out there and support women in coming to the, the decision that's best for them. Uh, in making this decision, women should consider their own personal preferences, the severity of their symptoms, how quickly symptoms have returned in the past if the medication was stopped, uh, and how quickly they respond when medication is restarted. So women may have read newspaper headlines in the last five to ten years about antidepressants being associated with heart defects. And very interesting studies have emerged since then where they've looked at women who took antidepressants during pregnancy and women who needed them before pregnancy but stopped during the pregnancy and restarted again afterwards. So you're comparing a group of women who took an antidepressant with a group of women who paused their antidepressant. And the rates of heart defects were actually the same in those two groups. So unfortunately, the group of women who paused taking their antidepressant medication aren't changing their risk of that adverse pregnancy outcome, but they're actually putting themselves at risk of the associated adverse effects with not treating their their depression during pregnancy. So they're putting their pregnancies at risk of preterm birth, low birth weight and other associated uh, adverse outcomes where depression isn't treated uh, effectively during pregnancy. For women with depression, the benefits of continuing medication will often outweigh the risks. Uh, studies have found that pregnant women with depression and their babies typically do better if they receive treatment compared to women having untreated depression. Uh, and this is something that I teach when I'm talking to health professionals. And when we look at the output of studies um, and we look at the uh, women who are using an antidepressant during pregnancy and the women who aren't using an antidepressant during pregnancy, um, and look at the difference in the rate of an outcome, like let's say a specific type of birth defect, um, the rates can be quite similar between the two groups. But if we take all of the women who are on an antidepressant off that antidepressant to try and make an adverse effect go away, we can then end up with women with untreated depression, which has its own risks. And we may not be guaranteed that the adverse effect we're worried about, for example, heart defects will disappear if we take those women off their antidepressants. Uh, whatever women decide, it's important that they make sure they see someone from their mental health team regularly. Uh, it's great that there are expanding perinatal mental health services on a national basis, that there are more supports available for women now, uh, and that they and their families keep a close eye on their, their mental health. And make sure you and your family know how to get support quickly if you start to become unwell. Is there anywhere I can find out more about medicines in pregnancy? Yeah, there's lots of information out there on medication use during pregnancy. Uh, it's really important that you get your information from reliable sources. Uh, the Rotunda Hospital website has an information page on mental health during pregnancy. There's also a US organization called Mother to Baby. Um, they have a fact sheet on depression during pregnancy and the potential impact of depression on pregnancy outcomes. And I think that's a very important part of the consideration of should I take my medicine or not, because you really need to think about the risk of untreated or undertreated maternal mental health disorders during pregnancy. The Royal College of Psychiatrists in the UK have a web page devoted to mental health and pregnancy, which is also very useful for that kind of risk benefit assessment. Uh, if you're looking for information on specific medicines, um, we have colleagues in the UK who have a very good website called Bumps. So that's the best use of medicines in pregnancy website. Uh, it's from an organization called UKTIS, and they provide excellent patient information leaflets on use of specific medications. So you may find a, a leaflet on the antidepressant that you're interested in on that site. 
And finally, then um, the healthcare professionals around you are a great source of information. So your GP, your community pharmacist, your midwife, public health nurses, obstetricians, these can all provide evidence based and, and practical information to support you during your pregnancy. And then there are specialist services, specialist perinatal mental health services that will um, have expertise in this context and be able to signpost you towards the, the right information. Thanks for coming in to speak to us today and to our experts and our moms. It was a pleasure to talk to you. If you're a mom who's struggling with your mental health, remember that there are lots of supports available. You are not alone. It's okay not to feel okay. We hope you enjoyed this expert advised and mum approved podcast. Chat to us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast or visit online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. I'm Louise McSharry and this has been Real Talk with Real Mums.